You hit that guy. He shouldn't have been standing. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Well, I lost him, but I don't think he'll be very keen. Uh, he's already got one, you see? Welcome back once again to Gag Reel, the unasked for podcast where we deeply dive into comedy film and television for ourselves mainly, but for people like you that also love comedy, film, and television. I am your host, Ryan, and joining me as always once again is Will. I was trying to come up with a rhyme for co-host with, with the with the mo-host. The co-host yeah, with that, that the is a rhyme. Or is that just I think that's just the same word. It's not a real rhyme, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. I thought I had it in my head, and then when I tried to compile it in my brain, it just didn't come out. Co-host with the bolo. Because everyone knows that Will always wears bolo yeah, ties. Yeah, yeah. Everybody who knows me is like, oh, yeah, he's the bolo guy. And, like, it, it, you just, I hope whenever you're hearing my voice, you're visualizing a guy with a very oversized hat and a bolo tie and um, flip-flops with socks. I mean, that's what I'm imagining now. Uh, that's pretty great. We, we could Photoshop that together and put it up on the... Uh, gag reel facebook and for everyone to yeah. see well that, i mean that's yeah that's, that's how i always look that's that's my what's the what's yeah, the term so i would i would say signature signature, signature look i'm really blanking on the uh, voids but, here today yeah yeah it's a good thing we're doing a podcast yeah that that's you don't need so, words to have a podcast i'm glad uh to be back here i'm glad to be chatting about uh meet the parents today which is something I had not seen in like a decade. So it was actually a really fun watch for me, but uh, I don't want to spoil my impressions yet. Uh, I do have a little bit of kind of off-topic comedy news uh, of sorts. I just finished watching Search Party uh, all four seasons, and it's one of my new favorite shows of all time. It's a great show. And yeah, yeah, I, I, I was thinking of an excuse to talk about it, other than just doing an episode. And I think I have an idea for a future episode, Will, that I'm just going to pitch right now All right, do in it. the middle of this show. What you got? I think I want to do an episode where we... Uh, where I don't know if we'll each pick five or ten, but um, basically we'll do a bracket for uh, what we consider the best comedy TV shows of the 2010s. Oh, I mean, that decade just technically ended. I know a lot of people considered, you know, 2010's done at the end of 2019, but if we're getting really dorky, 2020 was still part of that decade. I have a question about that criteria, though, for the 2010 shows. Did they have to start in the 2010s, or did could they end? I I I think we should pick ones that um were in their heyday in the 2010s. Okay. Okay. Like uh, I mean, there were a lot of shows that started in like like mid 2000s but then kind of tapered off like the office i'm thinking of great show tapered off yeah. as many great episodes yeah by 2010 the 2010s yeah that was like 2010 was like steve carell's last year but i'm thinking what what if we each pick like uh you know probably five would be good and then we make a bracket out of them and we argue each of them out and we see what what's the number one i like that because like I could almost argue there were more solid comedy TV shows of the 2010s than there were really good comedy films. Yeah, yeah, I could see that as well. It was an interesting decade for comedy in that there just there like there wasn't an army of stellar comedy movies. There were a mm-hmm. few really good ones and then there are probably, you know, 50 or so hidden gems I've never heard of that I'm just waiting to discover. But as it stands when it comes to big, loud, expensive comedies that go to the theaters there weren't a whole lot of them that i enjoyed i think it'd be fun funny yeah uh and we could even include um community feedback so if you're a listener out there and you have a a, a tv show that you really think deserves to be on this list uh write into us and uh maybe we can throw that in oh yeah and i'll put it out on facebook and uh yeah i'll just i'll i'll get i'll get some some people, I'll, I'll try and get you guys talking about it. Even if you pick something really ridiculous, I'll, I'll still argue on your behalf. Yeah. 
But uh, wait, well, talking of community feedback, I yes. want to get to meet the parents. But Will, I think you had a segment involving yeah, a little more housekeeping. Um, I uh, I've got uh, a community shout out to give because uh, I asked everybody when the uh, Pootie Tang episode went live. I asked anybody if they'd like, you know, they'd get a shout out if or they'd be featured in in our, our episode if uh, they responded uh, with their favorite quote. And so we've got a response from Aaron Payne, whose favorite quote from Pootie Tang is, uh, don't wadata to the shame cow. I'd prefer to wadata, but yeah, it's just me personally. Yeah. But Pootie Tang, don't wadata to the shame cow. <laughs> and uh, well, thank so, you, yeah, Aaron, for, uh, for thank, writing in. Thank you, Aaron. Anybody else who still wants to write in with their favorite Pootie Tang quote, feel free. And post they did. We got a couple handfuls of other posts onto our Facebook post. I keep saying post. Uh, Antonio Baker said, Sup a town. Ron Garman said, What a tau. Sadata. Kadar Simmons said, Sipita on the Sepita. Daniel Moore says, Just the classic Sadate. We got a uh, No Nostalgia, Madami from Leo Barnes. Uh, Darnell One Empire Williams said, "Don't be banning on the dillies," and uh, a few more sadates from uh, from uh, other folks. You know, I think this this segment will be a lot better when it's not just gibberish. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad that those people wrote in, and uh, feel free to write in next time if you want to be featured. And may the shorts be with you. Pootieisms are always welcome on this show, just in general. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. uh, We've kept long enough in this housekeeping nonsense. I think people out there want to listen to to us talk about Meet the Parents. So I think unless you have anything else, Will, um, let's get to it. Let's meet some parents. Pam is the one Greg wants to marry. Just relax, honey. I love you. But before he can pop the question, he'll have to meet... Hi, Daddy! ...the parents. What are you driving there, Ford? Oh, yeah. It's an interesting color. You pick it? Oh, no. Now the Hurst guy picked it. Why? Well, they say geniuses pick green. But you didn't pick it. (laughs) Be nice to this one, okay? Okay, I'll try. Now, he will enter their home. You know, Greg's in medicine, too, Larry. Oh, really? What field? Uh, nursing. <laughs> so, I'm realizing that uh, my, my, my knowledge of comedy film history is not as rich as I thought it was. Because I had no idea that this was a Jay Roach flick until I uh, plopped down and, and watched it and saw his name there. So, I guess this is what he did after Austin Powers. And uh, kudos to that guy for um, making... Two of the most lucrative franchises in, in comedy film history. He's uh, kind of good at making comedies make a lot of money. I mean, like, I think, let me, I'm going to check something really crazy real quick. Okay, no, it, 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 it didn't, it still made its budget back. I mean, he was able to make dinner for schmucks make its money back. And I mean, that's, Pretty mediocre movie, if you ask me. It wasn't terrible, just kind of boring. But yeah, it had one really good scene with Zach Galifianakis, as as any movie with Zach Galifianakis tends to have really good moments with him in it. But yeah, I was uh, I was surprised to see that he has this much kind of comic range in his directing, because this is a much different style of comedy that this flick. And um, I actually, although I, I don't think it's even uh, when it comes to. Maybe not uneven's a bad way to put it, but uh, I I think it has a kind of good comedy chunk in its second act. I I don't think the opening is that funny, and I don't think the resolution is super funny. But um, except for that very ending scene uh, with Ben Stiller in the uh, in the security cam, but I I think for the most part, the the chunk of the movie that is this kind of ball of anxiety of all of this. Horrible things happening to this character and him reacting in kind of, uh, you know, uh, in not the best ways. But uh, 
I think it works for the most part. There's not that many laugh out loud moments, but there's a lot of good kind of awkward, goofy moments and a, a, a few occasional really hilarious lines. So, yeah. so how was your viewing here, Will? Um, I thought it was okay. I don't know if I, I guess I just expected more laugh out loud moments than I got. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say when I saw it when I was younger, I mean, the movie came out in 2000. I was 10 years old at the time. And so like, I kind of, I, w- I wouldn't go so far as to say I grew up with this movie. This wasn't like a ready, like, let me pop it in all the damn time type movie. If you're talking about Jay Roach movies, Austin Powers was a little closer to that. I mean, but I, I was still familiar with the movie as a young one. And, and like as a kid, there were things that irritated me about the movie is like I didn't I, I always wanted to root for Ben Stiller's character. But I was always frustrated by how many times he went out of his way to screw himself over. Yeah, yeah. But this time around, a lot of that stuff didn't really bother me as much. I, I kind of understood where he was coming from a little better. And I think it kind of works and it makes him more endearing that, you know, he is, yeah. uh, he's not like this generic, you know, sweet character that everything wrong is happening to. He He's making mistakes no. too. Exactly. And it just, it's, it's always his little mistake turns into something humongous. Yeah. I mean, this is... I, as the audience probably knows, um, our, I think our, our tastes lean towards the more absurdist comedies. And this isn't really that. This is a very, like, kind of audience-friendly affair. Like, you know, it starts with the Randy Newman song, and he does great music for Speaking it. Speaking of but, Randy uh, Newman, huh? man, how is that guy popping in every movie we're talking about lately? <laughs> but We can't get around Randy Newman. Yeah, but it, it's a very, like, cute song, and it's a very cute opening with... Him having the kids, you know, try and help him propose to her. It. Uh, Did you recognize one of those kids? Yeah, one of those kids is also, you know, uh, in school. Was it School of Rock? And he says, uh, "Puff Daddy." He's a uh, he, he's a member of the the backstage crew. That's also little Cole Hawkins, aka Little Pootie Tang. Oh, that's right. That's right. See, all the other dots are connecting here. Mm-hmm. He also asked if we're going way back in our episode canon. He also asked if Rum stood for Rumpelstiltskin in the film Big Daddy back in our Adam Sandler trial. Yeah, yeah. He, he, that kid was in a little bit. Of, was had a little part in every movie from like 1999 to 2005. And I will say, he lands all his jokes in every one of those flicks. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe one day we'll have to watch School of Rock to add to, you know, our little fan club of this kid who's a grown man now and would probably find it very uncomfortable. That's a good movie, though. It is. It's a really good comedy. It's a strange movie in the sense that they actually hired kids that could play instruments. For some reason, that's a rare occurrence, Mm -hmm. like to actually hire actors that can play their instruments. But it's kind of cool that they're actually kids doing that, too. I don't know. Yeah. No, it'd be fun to talk about. But we're talking about yeah. meet the goddamn parents right now. Yes, we are. We're meeting parents, not children. <laughs> so, um, yeah, talking about the you know him with the kids, all, all this is just kind of cute. The first like real joke of the movie when they introduce Greg is you know it's the classic bit. He's proposing, but it's really to this old man and not to her. Yeah. It's oh yeah, very kind of the cl- second joke. It's is cliche. that he's a male nurse. Yeah, yeah, um, but. You don't really get a, a taste of the real humor of the movie until they actually meet the parents, and he goes in for that hug handshake with the mom. It's obvious he doesn't know should he kiss her cheek or not yet. I feel like that's yeah. the first time that the movie actually shows us what humor it's really going for, and uh, and I think from then on it does a good job of nailing that kind of cringe humor. Oh yeah, I thought it was. For what it was, I thought it was perfectly fine. I thought it got way too sappy towards the end. I mean, it's a comedy. It doesn't have to also be like extremely heartwarming, but yeah, it tried. Yeah, it. Well, what scenes in particular? Because the the big down moment, you know, they they kick him out, and then it's what it's kind of two scenes of uh the wife being sad, and then the mom and De Niro talking, right? Yeah. That's probably the sappiest it gets. But I, I think it does an okay job of cross-cutting then between this kind of uh, classic rom-com trope of, you know, the 
the husband going and, and getting the or the girl from the airport, but it's Robert De Niro going for Stiller. Yeah, I, and, I appreciate uh, that. And I, I actually thought the most of the entire airport sequence was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, especially on Stiller's part. And I did not remember the 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 fact that Robert De Niro's character also acknowledged his faults as a character. And I thought that kind of rounded it all out. Instead of making his character this, you know, invulnerable person, it really kind of plays out that he was kind of just as much of a doofus yeah. as Ben Stiller's character was in the fact that he's a complete paranoid guy who is always wrong about his assumptions for some reason, even though he's this alleged human lie detector. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I want to talk about one of the the jokes uh, you know that rebound his paranoia was uh the conversation in their car with Puff the Magic Dragon. I, I had forgotten about that line, but yeah, I thought it was very funny. Um, I'm forgetting word for word what he says, but just like well, Puff's just the name of the boy's magical dragon, right? And uh, just his deadpan delivery of that was a great joke. Yeah, that was great. But then it turned out later that he was just like pretending to not know what it meant to see if Greg knew how to smoke weed because he was talking to his wife. He's like, oh, I bet he's been puffing the magic. Did he say that because he just learned that that's what it means? Or was he just pretending to sound to be stupid on the car? Mm. Like, I couldn't figure that part out. Either way, I don't think it kills that funny delivery for me personally. Okay. I mean... if I laugh at that in the past, then how does me finding that out in the future destroy the joke? I, I don't know. I think it works. I guess. I guess. You're right. You're right. You're right. But yeah, I see what you mean. I think oh, we, we should learn. Well, I want to learn personally about uh, the making of this movie before we get into uh, any more of the kind of goofs and our critical breakdown. Okay. Yeah, that sounds, sounds like a plan. Okay. So in 1992... An independent comedy was released. It was written by Greg Glienna and Mary Ruth Clark, directed by Greg Glienna and also starring Glienna. It was made on a budget of $100,000, but wasn't widely distributed and did not earn its money back at the box office. However, the film was able to garner critical acclaim as well as some industry attention. The film was about a man who goes to meet his girlfriend's parents for the first time and ends up setting off a number of incidents that bring shame and disappointment. He breaks their fi- pride, he breaks their prized Victrola, ruins a roast, rents the only Andy Griffith slasher porno movie in existence, clogs the toilet, stabs his girlfriend's mother's eye with a fishing pole, is framed for marijuana possession. Wrecks the car, drowns the dog, loses a fight with an ex-boyfriend, and knocks over an urn. It ends with Greg being chased out of the house by his girlfriend's father with a shotgun. That film was titled Meet the Parents. And it was remade in 2000 by Jay Roach, written by Jim Hertzfeld and John Hamburg, and stars Ben Stiller and Robert De Niro, and is the movie we are talking about today. So, um... With some of the the industry buzz that this independent movie, uh, you know, like got, Universal ended up acquiring the rights to it, and uh, they intended on making a remake with a similar premise. According to Jim Hertzfeld, the premise of a guy goes to meet his fiance's parents and things go horribly and comically awry was all they really liked from the original movie. They hired Hertzfeld to essentially start from scratch with that premise add more story and characters to the idea. He um, he finished the first draft in about five months after being hired, and then nothing happened. At some point, with Universal not doing anything about it, Hertzfeld's agents slipped the script to a quote-unquote hot new director who was coming off a little hit known to a few people as Austin Powers. That director's name, Jay Roach. He absolutely loved the script, and wanted it to be his next film, so he begged Universal to let him make it, and they turned him down. So Jay went off and made this, uh, made another film called Mystery Alaska. Meanwhile, the script landed on Steven Spielberg's desk, who wanted it to be a DreamWorks picture and for Jim Carrey to star. So Hertzfeld met with them, punched up the script with their notes. Fun fact, Jim Carrey came up with the last name Fokker. Oh, interesting. 
But um, eventually Steven Spielberg passed on directing because he was not sure about making a type of comedy like that. So uh, the gig ended up going back around to Roach. Jim Carrey then bowed out due to scheduling conflicts. Now, um, Jay Roach really wanted this movie because he liked the anxiety dream aspect of the movie. Quote, it matched the anxiety I had when I first met my father-in-law, who was a psychiatrist and who I always assumed had x-ray vision and was a human lie detector. Now, without Jim Carrey, he realized he needed a solid lead to play Greg. So Jay Roach reached out to Ben Stiller, who would not commit to it. Robert De Niro then read and liked the script, and Roach convinced him to sign on by telling him stories of his own father. Quote, My dad was a hunter, so he'd make us go hunting, and uh, he'd say, I'm watching you. And he put his fingers to his eyes when, when we were stalking around. He told De Niro a bunch of stories, and um, Robert uh, De Niro really latched onto the idea of playing a character who is professionally paranoid. You know, like a killer spy who can read people better than a mechanical lie detector, but he's really terrible in actuality. De Niro hopped right on board and um, suggested a scene where, Greg, where he gives Greg's character a polygraph test. Then, once De Niro was on board, Ben Stiller, just he couldn't say no. So he came on and then brought on uh, John Hamburg to punch up some of the humor in the script and ramp up the Greg and Jack relationship. And the film was off to the races. That said, nerves definitely got to Roach, uh, mostly around directing Robert De Niro in a comedy film. Quote, he was having problems with the script. I couldn't tell if he liked it enough to, to do it. But then he said, I trust you. You're smart. You'll figure it out. And I thought, uh, oh, no, Robert De Niro is trusting me to figure it out. Well, what if I don't? But uh, those fears were short lived. It turns out Robert De Niro. And this should not be a surprise to those of you who have listened to our Midnight Run episode is a fantastic improviser. Uh, ben Stiller would come up with crazy absurd details and De Niro would just play along lightning fast. Again, uh, quote Jay Roach, you think of him as being an old pro who might need everything scripted, but not at all. He's very nimble. Apparently, the only real problem to be had with him is when he starts laughing. The kitchen scene with Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller, where Wilson's talking about the golden retriever with the gimp leg, apparently made Robert De Niro crack up so hard that the filming took hours. I'm a little disappointed he just kept that laughing. you just talked about that, because that was going to be the first thing I talked about when we got back from this segment because i think oh, yeah. that's one of the funnier lines of the movie greg's a male nurse that's right thank you jack wow that's great that's great to give something back like that i'd love to find time to do some volunteer work just the other day i saw this golden retriever that he, he had like a gimp and he couldn't really it just you know, made me feel terrible i wish there was something i could do it's definitely owen wilson's best moment it is but they made it through filming, and uh, with a moderate budget of $55 million, they were able to rake in over six times that amount, making $330 million at the box office. And then they uh, proceeded to make two sequels to uh, this movie that, if any other world, I would assume would have been fine as it is. Like, not, a, not necessarily needing any sequels. That's true. They do. I do wonder if they kind of had pre-plotted a little bit because they, they do kind of say at the end, uh, you know, they kind of tease the idea of them meeting the other family. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think that was like, a, we know there's going to be a sequel kind of thing, because I think there was three years in between these. And I, I, I don't think that Roach and the crew had that planned out. But but yeah, if if we're if we're hopping back on to the kitchen scene, yeah, I thought that was really great with Owen Wilson's character. His his character is just like just like a wow, just complete doofus. Yeah, he just he just kind of in his own world and just like a, oblivious yeah. too. I don't know. He, he does a good job of playing this like kind of rich asshole that's also like I don't know, very just genuine and nice about it. Yeah. Yeah, it was a yeah. I, I couldn't figure out where where they were going with his character, but I think he was just supposed to be like wowing everybody, and yet, but yet, yeah, be like a rich asshole at the same time. <laughs> I like somebody you're frustrated that he's constantly impressing. Yeah, you. but it everything it's just everything he said was so over the top with like how 
how uh, swank and ridiculous his life is. It's like, uh, yeah. you know, only took me 70 hours, which isn't that bad, you know, and it, it was, I carved it all from one block of wood. One piece, you know, one block of wood, which based on the size of that thing is impossible. <laughs> I loved, yeah, I liked the golden retriever with, with the gimp leg. I also just really liked his facial expression when it was all on fire. Mm-hmm. It was just like, it, 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 he didn't even have to give much of an expression. It was just like this close up on his face and it just stayed there for like 10 seconds <laughs> and it was yeah it was great I, I i was is this the first time that they worked together owen wilson and ben stiller they went on to make movie upon movie upon movie together yeah maybe so starting with zoolander and the royal tenenbaums mm-hmm. and just continuing on from there yeah, it was all around this time because i think zoolander was just a year later yeah yeah i think royal tenenbaums was too yeah i think you're right I forget if that was 2003 or 2004. Oh, okay. Maybe it was a little, yeah, a little bigger, yeah, gap in between. That's not much, though. No, uh, because Life Aquatic, if we're talking Wes Anderson movies, that came out in 04. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess you're right. And he usually took about three years between each Mm. movie. Yeah, it was 01. Oh, wow. That was a wild year. Yeah. A good year for comedies, since that was... Yeah, it was. Also Zoolander, and also Pootie Tang, and, uh... (laughs) <laughs> maybe if Pootie Tang would have came out in a uh, you know a drier year for for comedies maybe it could have had more of a chance you know yeah oh and this has nothing to do with um with meet the parents but i did bring up the movie midnight run because i was talking about our episode uh charles groden passed away the other day oh i i missed that news well yeah wow i think like yeah he, uh, yeah, health complications. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, yeah, I just brought that up. That's sad to hear. Yeah, I guess yeah. they never will make that sequel. Yeah, I guess not. I guess that won't work. But uh, back to Meet the Parents. I, um, you, you mentioned the sequels, and I, I think it is worth mentioning that kind of... Um, uh, I forget if I said it in the last episode or if I just kind of pitched this to you. Is um, I, I kind of picked this movie because of how lucrative it is and especially its sequels uh, meet the fuckers i don't know how um reliable this source is but one of the websites i was looking at that ranks comedy films and uh you know the, the highest grossing comedy films it placed meet the fuckers at number three this was um the numbers.com box office records worldwide all genres comedy etc uh, I, I'm sure this isn't 100% accurate, but I'm, I bet it's close. Uh, it, yeah, like I said, it puts yeah. Meet the Fockers at number three with the box office gross worldwide at $516 million, million, which is wow. wild for a comedy. Yeah, it is. Especially for something um, that, you know, is just family hanging out, doesn't have like kind of wild over-the-top stunts to it. Or anything. Well, there was an interview with Jay Roach where somebody kind of brought up um, why he thought, because the thing, one of the reasons it made so much money was it was um, it was also a hit internationally. And someone kind of brought up to him, is like, it's a dialogue heavy comedy. Like, well, why do you think it was such a big hit internationally? And apparently the whole world loves Robert De Niro. Huh. And it's just uh, star power. But I think also it's a really universal idea. I mean, everyone has different cultures. Like, obviously, some of the things that, like, kind of Greg is trying to do to fit in with them, like doing a Christian prayer, maybe that doesn't, isn't as universal. But I feel like a lot of the ideas here uh, and a lot of the situations, like accidentally, you know, spiking a ball into your uh you know future sister-in-law's face i, I feel like that yeah that's kind of universal and I, I i think that uh and like playing like i i wish this dynamic was played up a little more than it actually was in the movie but just the class difference like greg br- like brings up just something small like his family yeah. fighting over some chinese food and they think like that's the most appalling, ter- terrible thing they'd ever you heard. Say that it's a small. I think that's pretty prevalent through the whole movie. Like they bring up okay. him and the Ford Taurus pretty often, kind of like. Well, yeah, they at pick it. on the amount of money he they, makes, uh, but I just meant like. Yeah, yeah. 
it just I feel like every conversation uh, that he has with someone new, it, it like goes into his profession and they t- he talks about just kind of his difference of life pretty often in, in like passing. I always thought that was less about the class thing and more so about them just picking on him for being a male nurse. But I, I guess you could see it that way. Yeah, it could go either way. But I mean, he uh, what's okay. it? Uh, Owen Wilson asked him. So, oh, yeah, you're a homeowner after bragging about his giant house and ev- everything. In oh, it. yeah. And he's like, no, say, I, I'm a renter. I, I rent. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Maybe I don't I think just, it's yeah, trying to make a it. statement, but I, I think they're kind of using know. that to show how different the, of a world this is for Greg. So, yeah. so what got you into uh, carpentering? Carpentry? <laughs> I guess I'd have to say Jesus. He was a carpenter, and I just figured if you're going to follow in someone's footsteps, who better than Christ? Hmm. Greg's Jewish. Are you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so was JC. Wow, you're in good company. <laughs> I want to know, I know you say there wasn't that much kind of um, that that was super funny to you, but I'm curious if there is anything that stands out that we haven't talked about yet. The one, the, the one moment I legitimately laughed out loud was when near the end of the movie and he was angry about uh, Robert De Niro found out that, uh, you know, Jinxie was missing and like he 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 just immediately snaps and he's like I bet you were trying to milk him you sick <laughs> son of a bitch. Yes. I I burst out laughing. It was, that was that was probably the funniest line and I realized like then I was just like maybe I would have had more fun with this movie if it was a completely unhinged Robert De Niro the whole time, but I don't think it would have worked for the movie. Yeah. There was another line in that segment that I thought was really funny. He says uh we're supposed to let him wander the streets without food, water or toilet. And it just, yeah, yeah. his delivery of toilet, I thought was really funny. Yeah, that was great. I do want to say, you know, uh, this movie really relies on that kind of cringe humor of like you being uncomfortable for him, but there being kind of humor in that. And uh, I didn't really like that as much as a kid. I find it much more enjoyable now. But um, yeah. The moment that made me cringe the most did the whole damn movie that was unintentional was him calling his uh his penis Mr. Winky. That Ooh, I was yeah. I almost walked away from the movie. I was like I don't need to hear about Ben Stiller's penis in any scenario and in any uh you know context. Yeah, that that was that was awkward. It's just me personally. No, I I agree. I I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was definitely cringe heavy. And there were some scenes, I guess I still had like, I run scenarios in my head. And so like all I think of, and when it comes to cringe humor of this type, you know, there are other types of cringe humor where sometimes you just feel awkward in a situation, you know, like, it's just like, wow, this is the the worst way to react to a scenario with a, with cringe humor like this. All I think of is just how somebody should have done it or, or like, why are they reacting like yeah. this? And and like the volleyball sequence is like all I'm thinking is just like they told him to spike it. Uh-huh. Why did they freak out whenever he hit somebody? The, the funniest thing to me in that whole sequence, and this is probably like supposed to be, you know, you're put into his shoes and you're feeling like the intensity that he's feeling. But just like how mm-hmm. competitive the family is here is so funny to me. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I, I know it's supposed to be kind of a stream of consciousness thing for him. And, and like you're feeling because yeah. they they use that fish eye shot of like him in the water with them all huddled around him like well you're like, supposed to feel this intensity yeah. like this pressure to perform in this scenario that you don't want to be in uh but it's yeah and i mean like really ridiculous when um when when like like i was i was talking about with, with when jay roach he really wanted to do it because he referred to it as an anxiety dream type movie. Mm-hmm. And like, when I think of it like that as more so like the kind of thing you would just think about in your head on the way to something like this, yeah. all the worst case yeah, scenarios. Exactly. And that's what this movie is. I it's, it's a good movie for that. And I, I can understand why it would have a universal appeal and make so much money because it's one of those things, even if this is nothing like, any situation anybody's ever been in like i'm sure <laughs> thoughts like this have gone through people's heads it's like oh what if i do spike the ball too hard hit somebody and everybody hates me or or what if what if i'm in a in a you know like what if you know like the younger brother 
I'm supposed to borrow clothes from has some weed in his pocket and I get blamed for yeah. it. You know? And so I, I get that. I, uh, I, I want to talk a little bit kind of off topic from the cringe stuff, but, um, just about the filmmaking in, in general and how good it is at, at putting both. And, and this is kind of what these films do that have an odd couple kind of like these, these two people against each other. Uh, at least if they want to be effective, they do is like, put these characters in the frame with each other as much as possible. And it, but yeah. it does this really well, especially in that scene that is literally like the cover of the DVD. I remember always seeing it, uh, at Hastings blockbuster, etc. of, uh, the, the, the polygraph test and how almost that whole scene is just this one still shot on a tripod of them too. And it, uh, it rarely cuts to close ups, but you just kind of feel this claustrophobic intensity of being stuck with yeah. this, ridiculous paranoid man mm -hmm. and uh it, it does that pretty often too uh, of showing them together and them against each other like in the in the scene where they're racing each other to the house they they do a good job of kind of putting the camera right on the inside uh on the outside of greg's car so that you see both of them in frame staring each other down yeah yeah you get to see all their facial expressions and reactions to each other and i gotta imagine uh what it was like on set and all the, uh, just to see these two kind of bouncing off of each other. I, I've been wanting to find an excuse and hopefully we could do this in a future episode to just kind of talk about Ben Stiller in general and, and his kind of style of comedy. Cause it's kind of atypical. He, he has a really kind of unique cadence and he's really good at being the everyman, but being silly and kind of goofy in, in that role, but not, Oh yeah, not over the top though. Like believable, kind of goofy. Like when he breaks, it, as you do in a comedy movie, it's not like an Adam Sandler screaming at everyone. It's not a, uh, you know, I, I love Gene Wilder, but but and, and his comic breaks are probably the most <laughs> iconic in comedy. But they don't seem like an actual human being. Out. It sounds like a, a terrifying, insane person. But yeah. I, I kind of believe it when he breaks down in the uh, in the airplane in this film. Oh yeah, I uh, yeah that that I I phew. the 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 bomb 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 yeah. thing was it was a quote for years. <laughs> that, yeah, and and I mean like airport security has gotten significantly tighter since the year two thousand. Yeah, I, I imagine you'd get in a lot more trouble than even he got into nowadays but still it's yeah it just just saying bomb on an airplane and yeah meanwhile he's having a freak out and maybe if somebody would have just asked him like what's going on instead yeah it's, it's, it's a fun scene i i like the kind of ending goof with him in the security cameras just being goofy it reminds me of like the bits i've seen from the ben stiller show and just kind of unhinged goofy improv -y ben stiller yeah I did. That was the most maddening thing out of the whole movie when I was younger for me, though, was the reveal that he did clog the toilet or, or mess up, or break the toilet. Uh -huh. Because I was just like, wait, this whole time he could have just easily said, yeah, I did it. But he was so adamant at like that he didn't do it. And I believed him for the whole movie. <laughs> but see, I guess I get it now, having seen the movie with a bigger with a with a more grown brain yeah like you know like i could understand why he would not want to admit that you know i probably would have blamed the cat too in that scenario i, I don't think i would have lied to this level and all this other shit <laughs> but uh yeah no but i understand i might have blamed the cat for that one yeah but um uh i'd, li I'd like to talk a little bit about the uh little mini segment called uh comedic tropes Ooh, yeah new segment and uh, what this uh, what this movie falls under in terms of uh, tropes, we talked about cringe comedy, and that's true. But um, this, under the more under more classical terms, uh, would fall under this whole film would fall under the comedic trope referred to as a Kafka comedy, uh, named after the writer Franz Kafka. Um, in a Kafka comedy, no matter how well-meaning, reasonable, and cautious a character is, everything he does has awful repercussions for him and makes him look like a horrible person. Attempts to set things right just blow up in his face and aggravate the situation further, and generally the story ends when things are at their worst. 
Often this all happens because people around him are oversensitive and stupid with a hair-trigger temper. temper. But just as often, it'll be thanks to plain old bad luck. In a Kafka comedy, the universe punishes even the widest lie or the mildest of indiscretions with completely out-of-proportion ruthlessness. Um, normally, I mean, uh, uh, in, a, in a Franz Kafka novel, characters regularly went through ordeals such as this, and so... Um, it was uh it it he pretty much invented this whole style and um other examples of kafka comedies are the graduate after hours barton fink as and arguably a good majority of other coen brothers films uh quick change many episodes of curb your enthusiasm as well as some episodes of seinfeld the uh the character dynamic between jd and the janitor on the television show scrubs and uh plenty more the list could go on and on and now that you're aware of the this comedic trope you'll probably notice it in many other films that you the audience watch yeah this is is good to know this uh, describes this film much better than i could have well i guess from now on we'll put the 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 trope segment earlier (laughs) in the episode it's kind of hard for me to um to tell if this is just because i've seen the movie a handful of times or not but to me the setups for those kind of um kafka scenarios um seemed really blatant uh yeah don't let the or what's it called they say like oh yeah that cat hates the using the toilet it it would uh if you put if it's anywhere near dirt it'll it'll go in that like setups like that Oh, that was that was set up from a mile away. Yeah, my goodness. It, see, like I said, it's it's hard for me to you know take away the lens of me seeing this movie many times and knowing, because I mean it had been like a decade since I'd seen this, but I remembered all the big moments. Oh yeah. Um, you don't forget the dinner table scene. You don't forget the you know polygraph. Yeah. You don't forget the milking of the cat or the you know like a lot of the stuff is pretty damn memorable yeah and like even though it's not laugh out loud i i will say that that is a positive attribute to to this style of comedy like it's always humorous scenarios that uh yeah sure they're not like rolling on the floor laughing kind of jokes but um they're memorable and they're they're well paced and they're all well acted so you you kind of believe everything going on but um Mm -hmm. so will what do you think how has this aged in the 20 plus years since it came out? Um, there were a few things that kind of nagged at me. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what was the big deal about being a male nurse? Yeah, that's a, I guess if it was, they consider that to be a lean, big joke in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I could understand if it was just a couple characters who were doctors and we're kind of picking it. Why didn't you go? Yeah. into the the doctor field but instead it was everybody including like i don't know it was kind of the world itself but that was kind of picking that at one's kind of like I could, a weird bag of uh, uh, is that a can of worms though because um i think as the audience you're supposed to kind of be with greg and that like this is just what he wants to do and this is just kind of fuel for everyone to pick on him i don't know how much of that like we're supposed to be laughing at too but maybe that's just me with my much older you know looking at it from a much older lens well i think it was a combination of i mean like i think we were supposed to agree that most people's professions aren't their ideal ones Mm -hmm. but like then well they went with the male nurse thing and they used it as a punchline several times and then they even went ahead and tried to make it like oh he even took the mcat meaning he had to have gone through medical school well no you do that like and then just refused Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay, I don't know these things. Yeah. Um, and, like, the MCAT thing, and, like, they just they made it out to be, like, oh, well, it had, like, they just kept defending it while also picking at it. Yeah, I, I'm just saying, like, it's always, like, these characters that you're not really supposed to, like, love that are picking on him for it. Yeah. But, yeah, and then, it does um, point it out And a then, lot. like, but if that's, I mean, if, 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 we're on his side like also like there are a few other things 
They pick on like his name. Yes, that is what I was gonna point out really big because Gaylord Fokker was yeah the the killer punchline at the end of the movie. They they treat it that the most immature character, her younger brother, is the one that finds it hilarious, but everyone else is kind of chuckling too. But mm-hmm. yeah, they they try and make it be that that's equally as funny as having the name Fokker, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was just a, eh, Which, a little dated. Yeah, no, th- yeah, that that's probably the most egregious thing this movie does, other than just being, you know, very kind of white. <laughs> I, I think nowadays they would try, they very would make white. some of the friends. Thank you for saying so. Nowadays they would have made some of those, uh, you know, friends be be a little bit more uh, diverse. Yeah, it was a very very yeah. But it's probably an accurate representation of this this very uh affluent family that uh she's coming from and their affluent friends this is a a very rich neighborhood and rich people that so this movie kind of yeah. hangs around it was so rich that just the con just the how rich it was made me cringe <laughs> it's like oh goodness but uh it also made me wonder how did somebody with a government salary make nearly that much money he must have been like top tier in that cia yeah, that's true. Well, they, they make it seem like that. They, he's like walking with the president. Uh, oh, Clinton yeah, you're right. I forgot about that sequence. Yeah, he Colin Powell he, and such hang, hanging out with Bill Clinton. And yeah, um, they Forrest Gumped him in, in not so serious ways of how it's aged. Uh, him saying fat as like a cool slang term <laughs> that, that has gone by. Yeah. Um, the the just the 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 novelty of that kind of security camera and like Greg's reaction to it as like this is yes. really invasive, like yeah, uh, sorry, but we're in 1984 now, uh, Greg Ben Stiller. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's pretty commonplace now. Cameras that's fucking everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, yeah, everyone's creeping on you. I did, I did, I did like how clueless he was at first when he's like, "Would you trust a babysitter?" He's, he's like, "Yes, like, yeah, yeah, I think I would." Like, no, you wouldn't. Oh, you would not. That, it was a good way, because I think that's one of the first times we're really led into, uh, other than, like, subtle kind of filmmaking cues uh, into, like, kind of Robert De Niro's character's paranoia. But that's, like, yeah. the first really blatant clue of, like, oh, okay, I see who this guy is. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I, I think, that, yeah, the whole nanny cam thing, state of the art, is, yeah, very, very dated. Through that CRT Nowadays. TV. I do think at that time, I don't think you would have been able to send, uh, you know, that consistent of a wireless signal uh, from that camera. And that, that's no, that would place and that base would have been top notch. I don't think that was happening. But now you could just have it all hooked up to your Wi-Fi. Yeah. It's easy to creep on people now. It, now that's got me wondering, how did was he able to make that teddy bear portable? What kind of batteries did he have in that back thing? Like eight Ds? He knew what he was doing. I bet he put eight D cells in there, <laughs> and that teddy bear weighed a ton. Yeah, maybe we'll have to ask I mean, him in the magical world where we can go talk to these characters. Yeah, um, but I think that's all I got to say today on Meet the Parents. Um, I think for the future, our last kind of housekeeping thing here. I think we're probably gonna do that that bracket episode, um, in two weeks. Where we are going to pick the, uh, well, we're going to find the definitive best comedy TV show of the 2010s. It's going to happen. Whatever we decide, whatever we argue out, uh, is going to be it. Like, for all time. And I don't care whatever rank list you see at AV Club or wherever. Like, that doesn't count. It's what we pick. If Slash Film does it, they lose. Yeah. They're wrong. Yeah, they're just flat out wrong is all there is to it. Because we will have the definitive one uh, chosen by us. Even if Variety does it or Vulture, nah, yeah, no matter. None of that. But it will be chosen by us. Maybe if the Atlantic does it, if the Atlantic does it, I'm I'm gonna say I'm, I'm wrong. The Atlantic kind of outweighs me. Chosen by us and you, the listeners. Uh, please write in to gagrealpod at gmail.com or go to the Facebook page or um go to the website and reach out to us. Let us know your favorite TV shows of the 2010s, your, your favorite comedy TV shows. 
so that we can throw it on the bracket and argue it out and see what is number one. But um, I think that's going to be our last episode of this season one. It has been about a year now that we've been going, and we're going to take a uh, an episode off and kind of re recombobulate ourselves, and then we will be back. But uh, we'll, we'll give you more info on that after the next episode or before it or whatever we decide. I got a question about the rules for this uh, top five thing. Okay. Okay. So, what if somebody res- responds to email or Facebook and comes and has their list? Yeah. And one of those on the list is something that had been around for like a lot longer. Like somebody says either like SpongeBob or The Simpsons or It's Always Sunny or something that had been through the decade prior. I think we would have to. Does look- that count? Obviously, I'm gonna throw The Simpsons out the door because uh, I. I- I can't argue any of those episodes from 2010s personally. I'm sorry, listeners. But um, anything else other than that, then uh, we'll I'll look at. We'll, we'll find the best episodes from that decade and we'll we'll throw it in the list. Why not? Okay. Okay. So yeah, just have a why not? Okay, got you. Just wanted a little more. Yeah. A little you, more idea. All right. You gotcha. try, you're, you're basically you're saying here that our listeners are going to have bad ideas. No, no, I mean, actually, I was joking. trying to figure out if I could wiggle in It's Always Sunny into the list. I think so. It's what, about, some... what about Curb? Uh, yeah, I don't know. What you, do actually, you know what? I don't know if I would count. Do we want to talk about this off air? Yeah, we'll do that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if you think it'd be entertaining, we, we could talk about it right now. I don't know. Are you entertained, listeners? Or do you want to get the hell out of here? But, yeah, I think that's it for... Yeah, this episode of the gag reel. Unless you will, you really wanted to keep talking about that here. No, I'm good. You know, you know where we could talk about this? Mm-hmm. Not on my podcast. <laughs> gag a doodle goo do, guys. Yep. It's been a doozy. Have a good one. It's over now. See?